I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. Welcome to the first or second major championship preview on the Lost for Words podcast this season after doing the A&A Inspiration last week. Uh, we're now for the Masters. Jason is here as ever. Jason, hi. Good evening, Tom. How are you? I'm good. How are you? And we've also got Ben Coley. Ben, thank you for joining us again. Hi, gents. Thank you for having me. I, I think it's somewhat cruel to have me on only for the majors, um, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm glad to be here. <laughs> we we uh, we will have you whenever you're free, Ben. But it's uh, tying down a person of your uh, busyness is always uh, always a challenge and, and always one we relish, especially when majors come around. Well, thank you. You've had a right pop at my son there, but yeah, um, <laughs> very busy. Um, it's uh, I, I think Jason. I don't know about you, but I think this has been one of the hardest masters to uh, to research this time around. I think there's a lot of uncertainty around the top of the market um and it took me a while to really establish a clear favorite for me which i have done now um but even even this evening as we're recording there's still a couple of selections that i'm sort of either here or there about really i think the masters is very very difficult anyway i think the fact that it's so easy in inverted commas makes it so difficult i mean it depends on your mo i suppose you know what we're like we like to find some bizarre convoluted link somewhere to somebody's grand who delivered some milk to some coach somewhere <laughs> that made an effect on some player at some point in his life um whereas here the basic the rules are in effect written in stone um and um whilst i appreciate as we always say there's nine ten eleven places available so um for me anyway i'm looking for for places really it's it's the best way to play these people as we've just discussed two minutes before we came on air with a certain player that will be that will be bought up, um, can they win? Um, and, and and really, you 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 sort of a lot of the time you're saying to yourself, no, they can't. But there's a huge upside in their place price for getting eighth or something. Um, and then you look on Betfair, which I um, you know I did throughout today, and there's some mammoth prices. You know, they're 50 to 100 percent the the win price of um, of the actual um, fixed odds understandably because they've got the each way option and, and there's just so many ways to play these but ultimately the winner will only come from a select 12 or so um i, I find it uh, very fascinating but very very difficult it's interesting isn't it ben because like, like jason said there you kind of narrow it down to a certain amount of players that you think can actually win um and certainly over the last past two renewals, you've had Dustin Johnson in the world number one, which is generally a rarity at this event, and, and Tiger Woods, who we all know everything about. Um, but before that, we've had we've had some sort of winners recently in, in Patrick Reed and Danny Willett. Um, you know, Jonas Blick, Stephen came close back in 2014. Charles Schwartz was a bit of a surprise back in 2011. There, it, there is a chance for it to come slightly out of the top echelons. Yeah, I think it, it probably speaks to the golf in broader terms, how, how difficult it is at the moment to see beyond the top 10 or 12 in the market. It, it's it's more to do with the, the, the state of golf and, and how strong it is because it, it is suddenly very hard to see even a result like Schwarzel, um, who you know ticked a lot of the boxes at the time. Some of the same boxes will look to tick today. Um, but all of a sudden, it just seems almost fanciful to imagine a player like that winning it. Um, and it, and it, there's, there's that sort of 
conflict as well between you know traditionally the masters has been a very trends heavy um tournament possibly why us three might not particularly like trying to solve it because it's all kind of follow a certain path isn't it you know we're all pointed in one direction and yet you know i equally on the other hand you could tell yourself well reed willich Schwartzel, none of those would have ticked the boxes that um that i alluded to so it it's difficult it's a tight market isn't it you know I, I wish they bet a quarter first five and and we could have some bigger prices i really do probably get sacked for saying that um <laughs> but it's 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 a it's a tough gig but you, you know it's all good fun and and you know we'll, we'll all be heroes if we find a winner and we can get stuck into the rbc heritage next week and the grand canaria open sponsored by rafa cabrera <laughs> or whatever it is so yeah let's let's make of it what it is and certainly yeah, absolutely. And Jason, you know, we, we talk about trends there. Uh, we've come very close, you know, there's always this sort of, there's no debutants that have won since Fuzzy Zeller in 1979, but there's been a couple of years where that's really been, you know, very close to being broken, speed on his debut, blixed on his debut. Um, it can change, you know, a moment of a couple of shots here or there. Yeah, there you go. We've come very close to it happening. And this, this is what we do, isn't it? They, you know, there are, there, there's data there that that says it doesn't happen um yeah of course of course we, we you know we're going to have opinions on on some of these and some of these well down the market and and you know maybe two three four years time you know they'll be up there with a, a, a sort of you know jt price of 12 to 1 and stuff like that but i've been ben's actually used a really good phrase there. it's it's what we're told you know we're told that this can't happen this can happen um and it's really hard to believe that for whatever reason that that something can't happen why can't the top five be at 66 to one plus um and then you remember what it is it's it's it, it's you know you, you need to know what you're doing here and and ultimately isn't that isn't that the key um you've got to know when you're in a position hopefully on the fairway which flag to aim at where to aim it whether to be 10 yards past 10 yards in front 10 yards right um obviously some of the course is 30 yards right some of the holes sorry 30 yards right um you know take your classic 16 on a sunday everybody knows the area to hit that but during the week um you know if you're out of position on 11 or, or 15 and you've got a choice of whether to go for it or not um experience counts for an awful lot and and for me that that's that's ultimately what it's about um needing to know what to do and, and it can only come by playing the course in under tournament play so that that run or that two runs is absolutely crucial Absolutely. And Ben, we, we spoke about, or you know, plenty of people have spoken about the, the favoured shot shape of a draw uh, at Augusta. How, how much emphasis do you put in that? And obviously, we've had Dustin Johnson win with a fade. I think Matt Fitzpatrick did an interview where he said it only really counts on two holes that you really need to draw. Is, is that something that you kind of discount now? Yeah, I think it's kind of old hat, to be honest. I think it's the sort of thing that mattered when the game was played more on the ground. Yeah. Um, but these days, you know, and we, I'm sure people are bored of hearing how they mow the fairways now, but the the way the course is set up and, and the way the sport has gone, I, I don't really think it makes a big difference. I mean, we hear all year, don't we? Well, the ball doesn't move very much. Uh, and then all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that moving it one yard in one direction is key. You know, I, I, I can't really buy it myself. Um, and, I, and I was glad in some respects that DJ won to, to kind of pour scorn on that theory. It's one of those, like, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think if you sort of retroactively look at champions and, and how you might have seen it coming, then obviously Patrick Reed, who at the time hit everything right to left, um, 
would be one who who plays to that. And, and Danny Willett at the time of his win as well was very much a right to left favouring player. So it, maybe it helps a little bit. Maybe it's something that is more about how it makes the players feel. You know, maybe it, they do feel more comfortable and therefore it translates in a in a less direct way. But it's not something where I would say, look, if you if your guy hits it with a fade off the tee, um, you know, put a line through him. I, I, I wouldn't say that at all. Yeah, and, and you spoke there about Dustin Johnson breaking the trend. You also broke the winning as a world number one, which is something that, you know, very quickly you can pigeonhole people out of this tournament, even a very good player just based on shot shape, based on previous form. I mean, even like winning the week before is seen as a, as a you know, as a negative, which it generally is in most weeks, isn't it? Everyone feels like people peak one week too early. Um, Jordan Spieth, I don't suppose, will mind too much that he won last week and uh, should be ready for another go at it here at Augusta. Yeah, I mean, look, the the winning the week before one, I mean, you look who's won the Houston Open. Well, yeah, so what? Jim Herman didn't go and win the Masters. I mean, <laughs> come on, it would be ludicrous that he would. And actually, I think if you were to reduce it to numbers, which is not necessarily my favoured policy, but, you know, I think one of the last 15 winners the previous week has, has gone on to win the Masters. Well, that's probably more than the, if you did it in data terms, it might come out at 0.6 should have been the answer. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's probably a good thing that you, if you win the week before in, in a net sense, and certainly with Jordan Speed, it has to be, doesn't it? How can it not be a good thing to have won for the first time in three and a half years and reminded yourself of that feeling just before you go back to Masters? I, I, the Masters, I think it's an enormous boost to his chances. He did it in such great fashion as well, didn't he, Jason? Just typical of what Jordan Speed is like. He, you know, he was a bit eerie off the tee early on, and and, and there was sort of times when you thought it, it might go wrong for him, and he suddenly turned it on when he. Uh, when he got his nose in front and stayed in front and and hold the putts that we're used to seeing him win when he was uh, winning everything for the first sort of five six years of his career. That's that's the key in it. I mean, there was a tweet earlier on that said something like, um, "Damn Jordan Spieth, you know he's gonna." It's, it was along the lines of, "You know, you know he's gonna hold one when you're sort of one in front," um, as he did way back at the John Deere when I was on the Zach Johnson, <laughs> quite a few quid. These never leave you. Um, yeah. Jordan's Jordan. It's it's he is an enigma, and and um, yeah, he's he's going to go down in history alongside some of the greats because what he can do when it's not particularly going his way is is absolutely fabulous. And I think we we previewed we proved I can't remember what tournament it was um, when he was showing a slight bit of form, and I can't remember who our guest was uh, who said that um, you know golf is a lot better when Jordan's about, and and it, it is. You know, he's great fun when he's mic'd up. It's absolutely fabulous to listen to. Um, he's forever on the move, isn't he? He never keeps still. He's not languid like DJ or anybody like that. Um, and, and and he does the job. And it's been it's been horrible word trending in the right direction. And he's going to win at one point. And uh, there we are. You know, Charlie Hoffman did what Charlie Hoffman does at Texas, and uh, he just you know kept nudging him away, nudging him away, and job done. Yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic. And he he read an interview with him that said um, he doesn't mind if he misses the cut or or plays well the week before. When he drives down Magnolia Lane, it just gives him a huge boost. As Ben says, you know, you're not going to get more of a boost than going in there as a recent winner. Absolutely not. And I think, you know, they, they, they always talk about the fact that Grella was his maths teacher back in the day. And I think if you had a school report, it would probably say something like enormous potential but fails to listen at times because... Uh, <laughs> Every time he seems to give him a, a decision, he uh, he goes against it. But it paid off yesterday. He, you know, he stuck to his guns and a lot of shots and uh, and pulled it out of the bag. And you know, 
we were saying for quite a long time, it, you know, when he was on this run of form, it felt like it was coming, it was coming, and he had to get over that line to really um, make the step up because it's some, it's you know, it's one thing playing like that and playing consistently. We see it with guys like Tony Fino, getting over the line is is massive, and and for him, it was like Ben said that there couldn't have been better timing for it, and now all of a sudden we see him at, at second favourite in the field. Yeah, and and look, Spieth has always been, if nothing else, um, I, I think he's he's the best arbiter, the best judge of his own game, and and the best person to listen to about Jordan Spieth. And I, I don't think a lot of players are actually like that. I think a lot of them can put you off a little bit. Um, but Spieth has been saying through this run, you know, the one thing sort of missing, he he's felt a lot of nerves, and the one thing missing was was showing that ruthlessness. And you know, I I put him up at the match play and. Jordan Spieth of five years ago, and indeed the Jordan Spieth of this week, um, would have beaten Matt Kuchar. Yeah. But he, but he didn't have that edge about him to go and make that six foot putt on the 16th, and and it's that that was missing. It's the only thing. Um, sure, there were some loose drives in Texas, but what what's new there? You know, I I, th- I think everything's back in place now. Problem is, um, in terms of this week, um, I'm I'm neither strongly with or strongly against. I the problem is he is priced. As though you know nothing has happened badly to him, and it just feels a little bit like um, you, you miss the boat if you're not on at 25s and 33s. But um, I'm sure plenty of people are. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And Jason, I think you're you're probably down the same lines that when he was those sort of prices, you almost had to. I remember three or four years ago, someone put like if he was ever anything above 20s, one for the Masters, you just back him regardless of what he's done because it's just such a, a popular venue for him, and and he sees everything. And even you know that victory, you know in 2015 he, he was he was all over the place really off the tee and and he just sort of got the job done and, and we've seen Mickelson play it out the trees Bubba's played out the trees it's it can be done and it's a creative side that actually gets the job done you, you were you were missing I mean I'm not not you know not sort of you know weeing on his parade but you know you were missing an awful lot of top players there at the end of the day he's beaten Charlie Hoffman full respect to Charlie Hoffman but he's beaten Charlie Hoffman and Matt Wallace Wallace struggles to win um, and certainly in America, he was—you could see—he was under huge pressure. Um, and and you know, the Hoff is is great and and does what he does, but you know, isn't up there, is he? Is that you know, in any of the top twenty-five in the world? Well, there's a reason um, he has his T-shirt with his career earnings on it, as opposed to his wins, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'm not knocking it. I, I'm just saying it, it appeared to be coming. But who of his class would we not have expected to win in his favoured state? Um, you know, just to put a bit of leveller on it, um, look, he's 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 brilliant. He loves it here, and and uh, you know he, he has a great chance. But this 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 event is more and more looking like um, sort of an anti-post uh, event more than any other one that I can think of. Um, simply because you know exactly who's going to turn up here um, and play. Um, you hope they're in form, and if they do drift to a silly price as, as that. I, mean, I think he was 60, 80 somewhere, wasn't he? Yeah. Earlier on, certainly in America anyway, he was 8,000. Um, like you say, you just get on. Um, it's, it's, we've had this conversation. This topic has turned up a few times now over the last few months. If an X player just is too big, then you just back them. Um, and it worked, it worked with Brooks. Um, and Jordan was, you know, you had, you had to have faith that he was coming back at times. Um, but he was going to at some point. So at 60 to 1, you know, and plus it really wasn't, you know, it wasn't tilting at windmills. And and I'm just looking at this as all through today and all over the weekend, I've been looking at this and just thinking, this is a 12-month anti-post event. There's, 
it, this is pointless waiting for for the week of the Masters. Um, we've got to be looking at this as soon as the event finishes and and betting all the way through till January, February next year. Yeah, I can I can see that logic completely. Let's go into the five favourites then, Jason. Dustin Johnson at nine to one, Bryson DeChambeau and Jordan Spieth eleven to one, John Rahm and Justin Thomas twelve to one. Um, out of those, Jason, would there be one that stands out for you? Well, I I I just I just done a little list of par four performances and par five performances in the Masters, and I just went from 2017 because, you know, I think the game changes that quickly and newcomers come along that you know that that was sort of my cutoff um and of them uh john rahm jt um and jordan uh come into it believe it or not um the other two don't um does one stand out for me um if i was going to it'd be john rahm um we know that we know the talk about sort of you know he's just had a baby etc etc um but he's we, we know he's trending in the right direction we know he's getting used to the clubs he was he hopefully he calms down a little bit doesn't get so angry over over any missed putts but that, we know what he's like he's uh, third in greens in reg um over the last three months i think he's ninth um over the last 12 months so that includes his change of clubs if you like uh 14th in strokes gained approach um, it's, there's not a lot. I mean, these people, what can you tell people that they don't know already about these players? Um, there's very, very little. I just think he's, he's getting there without question. We know he, he could have, should have, would have done better. Um, in last year's masters, it's going to be a, obviously faster. You think faster and harder this year. I don't think that's going to upset him particularly slightly concerned that his, his short game may not be absolutely spot on, but, um, for me, him and JT, who both have very similar claims, um, JT's obviously got a more recent win. They're the two that stand out. Jordan, we've discussed already. Um, and if you want to go by the detail, he's 38th in the world, which doesn't win. So at that price, they need to. Yep. No, I like the summary there. I I have one as my standout selection from this uh, group. And Ben, do you, have you got a pick from the top five? Yeah, um, Justin Thomas, Thomas, which uh, I don't think will surprise anyone who, who reads my stuff regularly. I, I think he's got an outstanding chance. I mean, I've put him up for the last two. Um, he he was right there on Saturday uh, in November, and he, he had a terrible back nine on the Saturday, a couple of balls in the water, and he was really annoyed afterwards. Um, you know, he, he felt that he'd let an opportunity slip there to be right on DJ's heel and be the one applying the pressure. Um but his form figures here are really progressive. He's improved with every run. The thing I really like is he's hit a heck of a lot of greens. Um, if you go back, there's so many of the champions here who, if you look at their previous visit or one of their previous two, they they were right up there in greens. And I sort of theorized that that gave them the confidence to come back and, and return with that spring in their step and, and feeling like they've nothing to fear. Um, and that will certainly be the case with JT. Obviously, he won the players where he didn't need to putt well. He hasn't actually putted well for his last three wins. Um I think he's just got a massive chance and there's really nothing I can see in his profile, which is, which is a negative except for the, the nature of the sport and the way things can go. But I'll be really disappointed if, um, if he's not bang there. Um, the one question mark, I suppose would be the putter because he putted well in November, but when he's played this in April, he's yet to putt well. Um, but again, you know, I, I take a fairly don't care approach to putting anyway, but yeah. with Jay. Um, you know, he doesn't need to putt that well. And and just an added thing I would say is that for my money, 
pitching and chipping off tight lies. Um, I don't think there's many people, bar Patrick Reed, who are who I'd have ahead of him. Um, so I, I think he's got everything in his favour. Yeah, I think... sorry, sorry, Tom. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, back, just backing him up. Um, strokes gained approach from 2017 up. He's gone 17th, 6th, 5th, and 3rd in the Masters. So even that's trending in the right direction. He's 48th screens in reg over 12 months, 7th screens in regs over the last three months. That's all trending, right? Is that a recent win? I agree. He's, he's huge, isn't he? I just, I just think for me is, like Ben said, he's been his form is telegraphing a victory here. It's just every year he's got substantially better. Some people may say that November Masters may have suited him better because he could sort of fire his irons, you know, at the flags. It was softer, etc. At the end of the day, the best iron players are going to play the best regardless of the conditions, in my opinion. Um, you know, he leads um, the tour in par four birdie or better leaders. Jason, that's important to you, um, and. And like we say, you know, he was second in approach at WGC, fifth at the players. Um, generally speaking, he's probably, you could argue, Morikawa and Tiger was on his day, but he's realistically one of the best iron players, if not the best iron players on tour. Tees Green is fantastic. And, and like Ben said, the putting is so variable between any player, especially on greens like this, that for me, I just thought he was, he was just the obvious one. I thought that, like you said, Jason, I think that, that Rahm was one that someone would you know be interested in i think that the masters is somewhere that people get their first major victory um and he's obviously someone that we expect to do out soon but i, I just think that justin thomas we, we've been speaking jason for i don't know how many podcasts we've said it on now that he never looked quite right did he, he seems to have the hump back to the pga championship last year um then he obviously made the comment that he made then he lost his grandfather all in very quick succession and i think now that that's collective weight is off his shoulders at the players and you sort of have that smile on his face again got his tears out in the interview etc i think that he'll come into this with a completely different mindset and i think this is the time that he feels that he can strike yeah i mean his mate's just one so um it's time for him to step up in it and there's an interesting thing if i can add about the the approach place i think you're right tom generally speaking when we're talking about firm courses i think they add a bit of random in general yeah um you know the firmer the test the less predictable and in that respect i could understand anyone who wants to take a few more chances this week um, but actually, there was an interesting line from Adam Scott from November. He said that the greens being as soft as they were, and I think it's really only the greens we're talking about, and the fairways that Augusta don't tend to roll out a lot anyway. But he said the greens as they were actually made the sh- it easier for the shorter hitters because they're hitting six irons, five irons, and they can they were still stopping. And and if you go, I think I found a quote from Matt Fitzpatrick, 2018 or so, and he said the problem he has here is when it's really firm because he's coming in with a mid iron or whatever, and he cannot get to some of the flags. Um, so I think actually the firmer the course, the bigger the advantage it could be at Augusta because it's going to be so much more important um, to find the right tiers. So the bigger advantage the iron players will get. And as you said, JT, for my money, he's, he's one of the, the best I've ever seen. I, and certainly in this field, Morikar was the only one up there with him. I think it's just so repeatable. I think you just, you just, you just know what you're going to get with him. I don't think he generally tends to, if he does have an off sort of week with his irons and you know there's something sort of, dreadfully wrong with him you know he can get a bit loose with a driver he's obviously had his putting woes but you know his wedge playing his in his irons are absolutely superb and and that's obviously what we're looking for and, and i like the comments that you made there that that really the firmness should favor even the best approach players because that is that is the thing people will say that you know the core specialists will know how to run the ball up etc well he's now been there was it five times you know four, four or five times at the course now he's as experienced as as the guys that have similar chances to him and uh 
And I think now's probably the, this, this is the first time I've really been really keen on him. And I know you've put him up in a couple of times, but I just think even though 12 to 1 that he may seem maybe on the shorter side for some people, I, I just don't really see what price you can make him. And, and he was 12 to 1 in November. Now, obviously in November, he, he'd won a WGC in August. Yeah. But that's th- three months ago. And he'd actually had a couple of close and, and disappointing Sundays. I remember we discussed it um, on this podcast. You know, there were a couple of times at CJ, the Zozo as well, where he'd really gone missing on Sunday. Well, this time, the last time we saw him play on a Sunday, um, you know, probably his best final round ever. Poss- possibly his best ever round on the PGA Tour. Yeah. Um, so I, do, I, I think winning the players into the Masters surely entitles him to be you know, if if not shorter, then at least he was never going to be bigger than he was in November when he finished fifth. You know, so I, I think with eight, nine, ten, eleven places, I you know, I'd, I like I said, I'd be disappointed if he's not in one of those. Absolutely, Jason. Let's come on to the next in the betting, which is always a, a topic for discussion on the podcast. Is Rory McIlroy at uh, eighteen to one? Um, it's getting to that price where you do start to take, or even I take a second look at him, and, and I'm sort of generally very critical of him. Um, have you seen anything recently to suggest that you want to go in on him this week, Jason? Not, not me, really. Um, I've got as much to say as I have about Bryson. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, obviously he's working with a new coach. Uh, things are going to be bedding in. Um, again, there's nothing anybody doesn't know about him. I mean, is the rule, again, is that it's just what we've been discussing. At what point does a player become far too big for the, for the ch- overall chance that he has? Never mind particularly recent form um i i think the top is the top and and players that surround him just have stronger current claims um look, like you say you, you know you're betting 10 places so it, it's hard to see him at some point not being there um and therefore you can get out quickly and run away um in terms of actually getting over the line i haven't seen anything that shouts out to me that, that Rory's ready to win um, amongst a group of players that are in absolute tip-top form. My only concern with him at the moment, other than you know, he's not in the best of form, but I think that when you look at it and, and we say he's not in good form, he's finished 16th, 13th, 6th, 10th, you know, in four of his last six stroke play events, and that miscut the players I think can happen to the best. It did that week. Um you know, he was very close at the work day. He was very close in Phoenix, barring a you know poor final round. Tenth at Bay Hill, rinsed two balls in the water. My only real main concern with him is I don't know, Ben. I think you're probably sort of the best to come to on this. Is that now he's got Pete Cowan working with him as well, and I don't know how long that's actually been going on for. I think it's been rumoured for longer than than we've known about. Is is that a possible case of just too many cooks in the kitchen? With you know, he's got his old coach still and. Uh, there's a concern that sort of information can get misconstrued between the two. It, it's a very fair question to ask. I now I, I put a positive spin on spin on most most things, Roy. So you'll have to forgive me here. I have put him <laughs> up. So just to get that out of the way, I've, I've just <laughs> published my name next to Rory McIlroy's again. Um, so you know, uh, live by the sword or whatever. But um, I would say the point with Pete Cowan on, on this occasion is is no. Um, the reason I say that is Pete Cowan has has long been. Um, fairly friendly with Michael Bannon. Um, if you ask Pete Cowan, he'll say uh, he shares the same philosophy with regards to the swing. Um, they agree on what Rory needs to work on and, and fix. Um, and if you go back, you know, Pete Cowan's had a look at Rory's swing for, for 10 years. Um, yeah. So it, it wouldn't worry me. 
Um, again, look, I'm, I'm probably not the person to ask because I, I don't think I necessarily am impartial. Um, but I, I'd be really hopeful that it's actually more a, a question of a, the same message coming from a different person um, and, and that it might get through. We obviously know Pete Cowan's known to be fairly no-nonsense. Um, uh, and, yeah, I, I, I think it will be – we'll look back on them coming together as a significant moment um, for Rory. Whether or not it can, you know, see him win the Masters this week. I mean, as I wrote in my profiles, you, Pete Cowan will be, you know, knighted and sainted and whatever else you can do <laughs> to someone if, if this happens. And I, and I'd actually, in a strange way, feel really sorry for Michael Bannon if uh, if Rory were to win this week because it's that, you know, it's that thing, isn't it? All of a sudden, the the the, the genius comes in and, and fixes things. So we'll see. I mean, look, Pete Cowan's still looking after Henrik Stenson and he can't hit the ball straight, can he? So, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But as regards Rory himself, I, for me, it's a price thing. I think I do understand. I mean, some people will say, look, he's not won since 2019. He should be 33 to one. And I, I, I do understand that argument, but it, he's placed, if we can say 10th is placing here now in, in six of his last seven at Augusta. Um, he can go around here and play okay and still finish seventh. I, I think that was obviously clear in, in November. I mean, he shot 75 in round one and finished fifth. Um, he was 77th after round one. I mean, only about 85 <laughs> players, you know. So can he win? I, d I don't know. Um, as I think Jason makes a very fair point that, you know, you're asking someone to go and win 18 months since they last did, seven years since his last major, all those things. But... Um, Bar one or two, I don't think there are many players who would stand on the 10th tee on Sunday and I'd feel totally convinced they'd, they'd see it through. Um, and I do think we underestimate Rory. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it when I looked at this. Um, you know, we're talking about Jordan Spieth and his slump, you know, nearly outside the top 100 earlier this year, right? Now now second favourite of the Masters. Rory McIlroy's worst world ranking since 2009 is 13th. <laughs> He's never been worse than the 13th best player on the, in the world. And I think that bleeds into all. Um, I, I, I think if you look at the analysis of Rory, you wouldn't think that to be true because it is, he's very polarizing on both sides. Um, and it becomes very difficult to take a clear and unalloyed un view, you know? Um, so. I'm I'm not look, I'm as guilty as anybody. I take a positive view, others will take a negative. But I don't think he's playing as badly as people think he is. I mean, he's, he's got nine top 25s in his last 11 tournaments. When that was Xander Schauffele coming into the last Masters, we were talking about how well he was playing. Um, so we'll see. But I think he'll be very very close to the top 10 because he's just so comfortable here. Um, so that was enough for me. And I know that's not much of a case. <laughs> Do you think that in, instead of a regression from Rory McIlroy, it is and I think we say this an awful lot, that the competition has just got better. I think that when he was kind of at his prime and and his huge asset was his length off the tee and how straight he was driving it, um, his his length off the tee is still his biggest asset, I would say. You know, maybe barring his mid-irons and his, maybe his long irons as well, it it generally seems to be that that is his tool for success. And and I think that the others are sort of creeping closer to that and, and that may sort of, make him struggle to differentiate as much as he used to. That That's my only sort of take on it. Um, and the fact that he doesn't seem to have control of his miss off the tee. It's not like he knows he's going to go left if if he goes bad. It can go both ways, and that, that can be a concern only given one round. 
Yeah, the two-way miss is the biggest worry, I think. And, he, you know, that was clearly in evidence at both Bay Hill and Sawgrass. So I'm, I'm hoping that Cowan has found a way to fix that. Because if you can take off half of the golf course, you, you're more than halfway there, I think. Um, I, th I think a lot of what you say is fair. You know, I mean, there's no doubt that it, as you look back on Rory's success, it came in the pre-Spieth, pre-JT, pre-Ram and all the rest of them era, but also in that time when Tiger was, you know, obviously in his 11-year majorless drought and DJ was there or thereabouts to most majors but looked like someone who struggled a bit and Rory just you know he kind of winning that US Open was so important to him and he got all the everything was right for him that week and 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 the timing of it so soon after the Masters it just gave him that strut which he he carried with him for a few years bar what 2013 um and and it's hard to I think it, that's something that's really hard to get back and whether he'll ever get it back I don't know um I don't think he'll ever be dominant in sport again but I, I do think um he will win majors again I, I really do believe that I think I, I think it's a bit simplistic to say he's far too big a talent but um I just I I do think that I, I think he's one of the greatest golfers of all time I don't know how else to put it um and therefore you know I, how can i not expect him to to solve it all at some stage and, and hopefully cowan is the missing piece of the jigsaw but look, i've got him wrong every time this year so i, <laughs> I think people should stop listening to me <laughs> i think that the thing is and, and i'm guilty of it as much as anybody and i heard someone in in the pro shop the other day say that i think we can have a bet that rory McIlroy will never win a major again and when you look at his 31 years of age um and and that's sort of the age where people start winning their first uh, major Jason and, and it takes years of experience on any four or five uh, different events to to really conquer them and and he's sort of because I think he's a victim of his own success I mean he could he could win another five majors in the next 10 years and it wouldn't be that much of a surprise it's just whether it's this week and I think we me and you and, and obviously are against that in this term you there Tom yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> very, very quiet. Um, yeah, it's all been covered, isn't it? I think you've all covered. I think the key here is that we have to go on what we've seen so far. Um, and if you put Spieth, Thomas and Rory in the same place off the fairway, the other two are the ones you think will recover. Um, we can't say that Rory's hitting every, it's not like, you know, even what DJ was doing, you know, six weeks ago, hitting every single fairway. He isn't. Um, so therefore, who do I think will get round 72 holes and lose the least shots? And it would be Spieth and Thomas. Um, so therefore, I, I can't have him. Again, you know, if they were betting five places, you may get 22, 25, and then he, he might make more appeal, bizarrely enough. Yeah, no, I completely understand that argument. Um, so that we don't go through uh, player by player, because Ben himself has put a very good guide up for us um, on the sporting life, so we don't have to do that. Um, Jason, what what sort of price is your next selection at? Uh, oh, blimey now. Um, Patrick Reed. There we go. Uh, that was I easier. I skipped past. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> look, again, you can make a case for so many of them and you can't as you say you can't go through every player and uh as you quite rightly say you know ben does this every single year and puts puts although he doesn't copy it it just doesn't copy and paste it <laughs> and does his his guide you know player's guide and it's brilliant so you know read that and and find a joke uh, <laughs> i'm joking there are plenty there 
but Cantley, you know, Brooks Kepka, who I don't know what he's going to do. If he'd been absolutely fit, would he be 25 to 1? Probably not. Xander, not for me. Colin, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I've gone for Patrick Reed. Um, done as well as he has done at Sawgrass, so I'm not going to particularly worry about that because he's tied his best of 22nd in seven outings, so I'm not particularly worried that he didn't finish anything particularly special. Uh, 2020, obviously weird year, uh, but he's still top 10 in the Masters, tied 13th in the PGA and the US Open. Um, I think we were all on Reed on the US Open and uh, caught a little bit of a cold when he went missing on day three. Um, I like the Tournament of Champions as well. Um, nobody's brought that up probably because they're right and I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I like the Tournament of Champions um, as a reference, to be honest with you. If you look at the winners and the runners up there, I know they've obviously got to be good players, um, by the fact that it is a Champions event. But, you know, you have got Reed, you have got uh, DJ, you've got um, so many others there that have taken part and, and come top five um, in the Masters. And he obviously has fantastic form over there. Um, there's something about him. He's had that little bit of a rest. Um, I'm not saying he was particularly interested in. I, I think Reed turns up at certain tracks. Um, the world match play. I know he's had some form there, but he, I'm not convinced that would have been his particular um, favourite event to turn up in. Um, the work day we know he could have, should have won. Uh, the farmers obviously proved um, unbeatable in really difficult conditions. Probably should have won the DP Worlds as well, to be honest with you, and taken the title. Um, as I say, Tournament of Champions, Wentworth, he possibly again could have won that, to be honest with you. Um, I, I really believe that he's um, um, top of the top, top of the shop, really. And round here, I would have certainly put him in the top top eight of the betting, a lot shorter than 33 to one. Um, in his last completed events, um, He's been, it's a bizarre thing, in his last 11 completed events, at some point during the tournament, he has been in the top 11, I believe is, is my thing here. So every point in whatever tournament, whatever standard it is, um, he gets there to be with a chance. Um, the harder it is here, the better it's going to be for him with his short game. I know it's slightly off, but I'm going along with the speed thing that you turn up there, Magnolia Lane, it gives you a little bit of a boost. Yeah, I, I, you know, for me... For an each way bet top 10 33 to 1 is absolutely huge um, he's a proven major winner um, that's it really but nothing else to add my lad I think he's the hardest person to I think there's certain events that we think he can win and there's certain events that he does turn up very often but I think in terms of when we look at statistics and we talk about tour tips all the time in terms of the irons and and the driver and things like that and Ben uh, he's chiming on this as well we, we tend to see guys that that strike at the right time and find the irons at the right time. And Patrick Reed is not the sort of person you rely on to do that. I think that he can just turn it on when it matters. And, and it's, I guess, a case of how you price him up as to how you feel about him this week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, he's one of those. I, I, you, I'm sure you guys get asked as well. I get asked every week about this player or that player. And generally speaking, I kind of, this is golf, right? There are a lot of players in every tournament. And I don't really want to make it my business to talk people out of a player. Um, but if they've asked, I will give them the negatives as I see them. With Patrick Reed, I'm never going to say to someone, "Oh no, 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 I can't have him this week," you know, because it's Patrick Reed. He he wins more than his odds. Simple as that. He's not the only one. Um, you know, Colin Morikawa would be a great example this week, where like all the trends tell you absolutely not, and then you're getting 33 to one about arguably the best iron player in the sport 
who's won four times in 40 starts or whatever it is, you know, um, and Reed's kind of like that, you know, he, he, what, what more can you say? Um, there are some similarities to when he won it. I think if you, again, when you're tr trying to sort of retrospectively explain a performance, obviously the, the short game he demonstrated when he won here and the fact he hits a draw were, were both massive, but he hit his irons really, really well. Um, and as you look back on it, um, he had led the field in strokes gain approach at the Valspar a few weeks before that. Well, this time he hasn't quite done that, but he has got one standout iron performance in February in Florida. So there's there's that little parallel. Um, you know, I, I think he'll go well. He, get, he, he can get by on, on grit and knowledge and short game, can't he? So if you do get that week where his irons do fire, then you've got a massive runner at a big price. So, yeah, nothing to, to talk anyone out of him. Um, he just wasn't for me. I've got two players I want to talk about this price range. Um, one of them isn't Tony Finau, so I am going to reluctantly give him a miss this week, which is which is tough, but I think it's, it's time to, to let him go. But the first one I sort of wanted to mention, who I'm not entirely convinced is a pick, but I think Webb Simpson is a player that people sort of believe he can't win because of his distance off the tee, and I can understand that argument. Um, and, you know, it's not going to be a Zach Johnson week where the weather was terrible, but... He seems to be able to play this golf course, and he and he's getting better, and he's got a fifth and a tenth his last two starts. And if it wasn't for the fact he'd gone, not he's you know he's he just isn't in the form that he was in later last year and early last year when we first started his podcast, Jason. He was kind of one of the informed players in the world, and he's he's had a fourth in Hawaii and a sixth at the workday, uh, missed a couple of players and, and didn't do much of the match play. So he's fine, and I think I just think that he has to have his absolute best to win here um, and it might be hard to see him doing that at the moment I don't know how you feel about it yeah I can't see him winning but again you know you, you just can't not what these players do you know we, we we have a go at them for you know one miscut and not turning up at a match play event um, it's really 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 difficult um, I mean you'll, you'll, Ben will have a um, will obviously I think we'll go through through the fact about the various conditions of the courses and how it suits him um, but, you, you know, you can't knock him. He's gone 20th, 5th, 10th in, in varying conditions. Um, he doesn't see him in the same sort of form, and I think you're right. I think um, um, he'd have to be in top form to, to properly contend with some of these at the end of it. But, he's you know, what a fantastic attitude. He's six in greens in reg over the last three months, I think, which is going to help. But uh, I've got a note of 84th in strokes gained um, approach, uh, but I, then I can't read my right to tell you whereabouts <laughs> and over what distance is. But... That was a worry, otherwise I wouldn't have written it down. Um, and that's unusual for, for Webb. He's got to rely on his irons, hasn't he? Um, it, it's... Patrick Reed is seventh in the world, and he's 33-1. Webb is ninth, and what is he, 40, is he? Yeah, um, that's price. I, I, I know who I'd rather have by a considerable way. No, that's fair enough. Do you have any thoughts on Webb Simpson at all, Ben? It sounds a bit simplistic, I suppose, but my theory with him would be that if he plays his absolute best, he might have half a chance. Um, do you know what I mean? Like he, he's, yeah. he, he, he needs to really be at his best. And there's actually a quote I, I put up Paul Casey, who I'm sure we'll come to, but mm. there's a quote from Casey, which I actually think is a good thing for him from last year when he said, look, if I go to the Masters and play my best, I, I do need the, a couple of the other guys like DJ to, to not play their best. Um, and I actually quite like that with him because it's kind of a downplaying expectations thing. But I, I do think it, it definitely apply. I mean, it's obvious that it applies to a lot of golfers, but I think to Webb in particular, he's fighting an uphill battle. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. And we'll come on to Paul Casey because that's the other guy that I wanted to mention. Um, his form here is just, you know, pretty special. He's had seven top 20s in his last 12 starts here. He was tied sit on his debut back way back when, it was 2004. Um, and on tour tips, you look at the last 15 weeks and he's first in tee to green and first in approach. Didn't do what we expected him to possibly at the match play, which generally suits him very, very well. Um, but 5th at the players, 10th at Bay Hill, 5th at Pebble Beach, 12th at Saudi and a win in Dubai. That was plenty enough for me to uh, to consider him a bet. And he's not someone that I generally would take on in a major championship. But I think with, with the price, with the place terms, and he, he has come in a considerable amount, maybe than, than what we expected. But 35s and 40s, I think it's fine, Ben, for, for a player that has each way uh, place chances as he does. Yeah, you, you just have to get out of the mindset, don't you, that oh, he was 25 to one to win the Dubai Desert Classic with six yeah. places. You know, you just you just have to treat them as different. You do because you get nine, ten, eleven places. Um, and obviously, since then, he's he's further underlined his the state of his game. Um, as you said, I, the the things I really like about him are um, one that he he led here in November, and I know he didn't kick on. Um, but it was the first time he'd ever been in front after a round at Augusta. And I think that's an important sort of milestone uh, along the path to um, potentially winning a major championship. And the other is the way he played in the USPGA. I, I think we think of Casey as a bit of a nearly man, um, more so for his you know lack of American wins over the years. I, mean, I think he's, he's won about 20 tournaments. I, I think people are incredibly harsh on these guys. Hmm. Um, but... In majors, I think a lot of people will be surprised. You know, he's never really had a chance. I, I don't remember Paul Casey being bang there on the back nine of a major. You know, you think that and, until the USPGA, that is, you think the 2010 Open when Louis ran away with it, like he was the one waiting, but Louis never came back. Um, I think really before that, you have to go back to the Masters in 2004 when he was within a couple and had a difficult final round, but that was his um, Augusta debut, very much forgivable. So really it was the USPGA where he had his first real look at winning a major and he did nothing wrong. Um, and I think, you know, you'll hear Matt Cooper talk about it as base camping, whatever word you want to use. Um, generally, first time major winners, the odd exception notwithstanding, have had a really good look at winning one very recently. Patrick Reed tied second in his previous major start. Francesco Molinari tied second in the same USPGA as Patrick Reed. You know, it, it's common. Danny Willett even had been in, I think he was in the lead at halfway at St. Andrews the year before. Um, it, it, it's how you do it. You get a look, you get comfortable, uh, and then you go and win it next time. And you know, um, I'd be fairly hopeful that he can he can be there on Sunday because that's the thing, isn't it? He's playing so well um, that I think we can rely on him continuing to do that. And I, with eight, nine, ten places, I'm less worried about things like bottle. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, if he's if he's leading come the tenth tee on Sunday, thirty-five to one, fine. You know, we'll see what happens. So yeah, I'm I'm fairly sweet on him each way, but obviously he has a question to answer. Yeah, so that uh, basically summarises my complete thoughts. And Jason. You were very aware of of how he responded on the Sunday. He had the kind of smile on his face that he kind of knew he he'd done everything that he could, hadn't he? You know, he shot a 66 in the final round at Harding Park and and just got beat. It was as simple as that. He didn't lose. Uh, he was very, you know, we associate him with being a bit smug and a bit kind of temperamental and and you know not the nicest. And he just looked really at peace. He was really complimentary about his caddy, and he was really, you know really pleased with what he'd put in and it took a 64 from Colin Murakawa and an eagle at the right time to really take that away from him I think yeah that was that was the one that I think we came back the week after and said we just found that attitude incredible I don't think we've ever seen and we, we may well have done we've just not had it that close up 
because um, he hasn't been sort of that close to winning, obviously, a major, um, where we saw everything with him. And his attitude was absolutely amazing. Um, just, uh, I mean, you know, I'm certainly not, you know, blowing candles here, but up somebody's thing. But, you know, ex-human rights activist, somebody wrote, which was a stunning description. <laughs> um, and then and then that posting of, of uh, telling a bloke to shut up at the match play. I mean, that is the two sides of Casey. I don't know which one is sincere, to be honest with you. I don't know which one's genuine. Um, but it's it's not, you know, as Motti always told me, he said, don't try and get inside somebody's mind because you're not going to do it and it's not going to help you. So on face value, let's have a look at what he's doing. After that, whereas you rightly say he came off, he wasn't disappointed. Um, look at his form. I mean, Dubai... The Dubai Desert Classic, while it might not have any direct links, you know, has been won by Sergio, Danny Willett, Rory. Um, you know, so um, it's there, isn't it? Tiger, obviously, as we know, won it a thousand times or something. Um, so it is there. There, there is there's correlation to that event. Um, he's been playing brilliant, hasn't he? You know, five at Pebble, 10th at Arnie's place, um, fifth in the players. Don't worry about the match play. It doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant. Um can't argue, 40 or 1, if he's still available, top 10. Um, yeah, there he was. He was in the top echelons of path four performance in 2017 and 2021 here, um, as you'd expect if he has half-decent results. Won't matter the conditions, will it, with him? Won't matter about wind. Perfect. Yeah, beautiful bet. One of my think, final 11 anyway, yeah. I think for me what it is as well is that if you were to pick a, a venue for him to win his major at, it would be Augusta, and, and he's in that perfect form now. Some will say that he's a little bit too old at this stage, but I think that, you know, they talked about Marco Mira being one of the older winners and Tiger obviously done it recently, but Paul Casey's 43, but you don't look at him as a 43-year-old who's only got seven years left. You know, he's in fine fitness. He's generally doesn't have many injury problems. He's playing as good as he ever has done. You reference the Dubai Desert Classic, regardless of whether it actually links in terms of actual course correlation, it's a win at the right time of year leading up to this and he's not he's not stepped off the gas since and that's mm. that's the important factor. So I think we're we're all pretty happy with Paul Casey. Um my next pick is at is at fifties and fifty five to one area. So uh Jason, have you got anyone anyone between that? Um, just looking. No, I, I did look at Jason Day, but I've gone off him, so we won't we won't waste ten minutes on him. Well, I think Ben's going to talk we, about we Jason. We might, Day. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what. My next one was Jason Day. I'm really keen on him. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, I've I've gone off him, um, so I'll let Ben do the spiel. Over to you, Ben. Uh, yeah, I'll try and keep it fairly brief for me. Um, I did. I think I suffered a similar dilemma to Jason, um, and just came down on the other side. Like I do have my doubts. Um, you know, it's a long time in relative terms since he won. Um, he was poor here in November, but I think if you're happy to overlook November, which I am to some degree, um, his Masters record is blemish-free. He'd never been out of the top 30 otherwise. He was second on debut, third on his second completed visit, fifth behind Tiger in 2019. When you know, all jokes um, aside, he, he really was struggling with his back that week. Um, it's beginning to look like he needs to be struggling with his back to, to play well. But um, I, I like how he's played this year. That's the, the kind of the thing. I mean, I, I probably followed him closer than most people would at Sawgrass because I put him up for that. And he, he drove it. I mean, he did statistically drive it better than he's driven it since 2017. And, and you could see that in just following his shots. He was just 330 down the middle. Um, he putted abysmally. He missed more putts from three or four feet I've ever seen him miss. 
um, and we'll see if he's fixed that. But I, I think generally speaking, when he's gone to a course he likes over the last few months, he's played really well. Seventh at Pebble, played so much better at Sawgrass. He was second in tee to green. I think he finished 33rd or something. Um, <clears throat> and the other thing is that I, I kept thinking, OK, well, he's not won in quite a long time. Is he still capable of this um, of winning a major right now and you know generally speaking he's, he's probably a bit too far down the world rankings a few other things like that but then i remembered again a bit like casey how he played at harding park and there's a risk that because there were no fans that didn't necessarily feel like a major um but basically he played great that week and, and then on sunday in particular he, he flushed it all day just didn't make a putt so put all those things together and i'm happy to say that he he's good enough right now to to be competing for a major and then i really like with the greens as firm as they will be he's one of the highest hitters on the circuit he's obviously got a brilliant short game the the worry is his iron play it can be pretty bad um at times and and in general i like uh proper uh ball strikers if you like for this but uh, at 55 to 1 I, I did kind of think how big can jason day be you know um and i i, I came down on the side of not any bigger really so yeah happy with yeah. it I think when you talk about his short game and his putting there, that's what got him to to world number one. That's what got him to win the major championship that he did, you know, at the PGA. And and for me, you know, you'd expect that to come back. It's not like he's going to have to really change. There's certain types of players that will never really putt that well. He he can find that at any given point. I'd have thought it, like you say, it is the irons. And but then we, we're talking about we talk about Augusta as such a, um, you know different tests to everywhere else and so kind of unique that he can probably find that when he needs to and like we just said about Casey there's probably not a better venue for Jason Day to win a major than there is Augusta yeah I, th- I think that's probably fair I, I think I, I if we go back to a traditional April Masters and it's really hard because the last two have been the easiest two in history and I can't stress that fact enough like the last two have been atypically easy and it depends whether you come down on the side of okay well i think you know golf is progressing faster than augusta can match um or do you go back and think well it rained throughout 2019 those greens were just like dartboards and they were again in november so if you go back to the firm and the fast greens at least and you i i I became convinced that actually um this is going to be old school Augusta where experience is one of the, the biggest things. And we're going to get a winner who has been there in contention Augusta. And it's that that talked me out of Morikawa and Hovland, who I liked more, the more I looked, but then I really did decide that experience and that ability to cope with Augusta at its meanest will be, will be key. And if that's true, then all of a sudden, a lot of the players from sort of 22 to one to 40, 50 to one, they've got, some big question marks against their names um and and therefore again you know day gets sort of promoted up the order a bit i i'm going to go with someone with a similar amount of experience it's a former augusta winner it's someone that i've been very high on all season long despite the fact he's never been a favorite of mine that's sergio garcia and, and it's purely because he's just hitting the ball so incredibly well um you know yes he was disappointing after the opening round at Sawgrass and we kind of blew it I guess you could say because his putting was predictably terrible um, but he's been first and fourth his last two starts in strokes can approach in stroke play events you know T to green he has been the second best in in the field over the last 15 weeks uh, behind Casey sixth and fifth the last two um, you know and he's just playing really really good golf and I, and I know he's struggled here since that win and um, 
but I think that's kind of gone away now. I think it's been long enough. He obviously missed the last renewal um, due to COVID. But I, I just think that now he's got himself up there in, in the players. He played well at Dubai. And we just talked about Paul Casey there. He'd won on the PGA Tour last season. Um, well, this season, actually. And, you know, there's just there's plenty for me to like about him. I know his major record has been dismal, Jason. I know you're not the, the, the biggest a fan of him. He has struggled since that that Masters victory. But I just think there's just plenty enough about him. Even at the match play, got to the quarter final where he was beaten by Perez. To me, he's just striking the ball incredibly well. If, if what Ben says, it plays like a typical Masters, then the experience will count. And he's been there and done it. Yeah, it's fair enough. I just think if it plays like a typical Masters, I'd shut my eyes as soon as he uh, ran off the green because <laughs> he'll run up any number. And that that, that would be my only concern. Um, yeah, my only but, concern. But I think that's I think, I think you, factored you in the price, it. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, you've got Casey at 40, Serge at 50, 55. I think you're quite right to say, um, to potentially put those in the same type of bracket. Um, at the moment, anyway, it's a difficult one. I don't mind Sergio at all. I, you know, it's um, he's good fun to watch, isn't he? Um, and and when he's on, he's absolutely outstanding. I just think, I think he did quite a bit of it at the end of the European side of the Dubai and at Saudi. He did quite a bit of very good work, and then just killed it, didn't he? With some yeah. shocking short game stuff, and you can't take that out of your mind. How much can you keep giving away? You know. If it, I'd go back to, I know, I know we're talking a slightly different level, but you go back to the JT, the Spieth. How much are you going to give away to them? If you put them all in the same place, just off um, whatever, the 11th or whatever, um, green, which ones are more likely to save bogey? And, and, you know, it's not Sergio, is it? So he's going to have to be absolutely spot on with his replacing of his irons. And it's a big ask. Um, I can see him getting placed again. You know, it's we're saying it all the time, aren't we? It's top 10 places. We can probably agree on four or five that will take up those 10 places. And then there's another five or six to go. So um, why can't Sergio get there? No reason. I just cannot see him winning in, in this field. He was the last of my list, Tom, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I'm I'm kind of I'm with you. The, the, the big thing in the back of my mind is he's not played a major properly in four years. No. And it's utterly bizarre i don't know why it is and there's definitely a case that this is the best he's the best shape he's been in coming into a major um in the in the entirety of the four years um and there's even a thing that maybe missing the masters in november gave him a chance to reset um and you know it's the first major he's missed in 100 years and he can come back and 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 do what he knows he can do and he did give an interview with 10 golf the spanish um publication in which he he talks quite bullishly actually and kind of touches upon that and says he's found a putting fix so uh, yeah he was definitely tempting um i just yeah i kind of did conclude as jason has that he can't win but i don't like that so we'll see to me uh, do you think there's anything about the hunger going away a little bit like you know he's, he's got that major it took him so long to get it he broke through it of course that he'd love to have done it on he did it played incredibly well to beat justin rose that uh, that week that year and and maybe he's just got what he wants but i think like you just said i think now he's had that kind of bit of time away it's another chance to go at it and he probably won't want to waste the opportunity he's got with how good he's striking the ball yeah, I think there's no doubt that post-win he had that David Duval-type sort of experience, that feeling of, oh, God, I've got to the top of the mountain and 
you know, I'm still the same person and life, life doesn't actually get better. And, you know, there's no great, um, you know, not some elixir waiting for me. Um, I've, what do I do next? I definitely think there's that is at play. And I think it being a Ryder Cup year and realistically his last chance to play it in the States and maybe his last chance to play it full stop. I, I definitely think there are some motivational things at play because he, he's the thing that Sergio has done. If you look at the stats, he, he's, he's always been a great driver. We know that, but he's added speed and distance and height. Yeah. Um, he, he's, you know, he's done what Rory wanted to and hasn't been able to. He, he's tried to hit it further in, in the latter stages of his career. And he, and he really has, he's one of the best drivers on the planet again. And that bleeds into the rest of your game, doesn't it? Um, again, whether he can make the two footer, we'll see, but um, yeah, may, maybe I could see it. Maybe. Yeah, no, I can I completely understand both sides of the argument. I just think that just from a just from a numbers point of view, just from like we've heard about playing a bit more like a traditional masters, an experience will count. I think it's I think it's worth putting on. And I thought the price was was more than fair. He's kind of been high on all, all year, and and I hope it concludes here. Um, there's a whole host of names here, Jason. Plenty to choose from, going up to a hundred to one. Um, it's about finding i think at this stage there's there's a couple that stand out as people that could win and then there's a lot that that could take up those places and i think i'm sure you've probably got a pick between this sort of price range and 100 to 1 that that you'd want to talk about yeah i mean i looked at brian Harmon just because i thought he was incredibly impressive at the match play um they didn't make the final i thought his his ball striker was incredible but he can't can't contend he's not long enough and uh and uh there we are he's not long enough and uh, he's, he's on my list of don't ever back him. So he's got no hope. Um, I just thought from here on in, it's very well worth looking at the exchanges. I've got two in my final 11, um, both of whom but opposite sides of the experience scale, really. Uh, Corey Connors and uh, Matt Kucha, uh, both <laughs> around 80 or 90 to 1. Um, sorry? No, it's just no, carry on. <laughs> 80 or 90 to 1 on the book, but uh, 170 and drifting on Betfair. Um, and and you know to use my old um, W money at quarter the odds, I think a combination of those two, um, any anybody around this sort of price, you definitely need to have a look at there. You can start playing around with your bets on Betfair while still leaving your each way top tens running. I think. But anyway, yeah. So Corey Connors, um, I wasn't a huge fan as he when he came on the scene. Really, um, I've been really impressed with him this year. To be honest with you, we've always known that he's. Sort of his iron play is absolutely outstanding, um, but I think his short game has improved. It's not where you particularly maybe want it to be um, around this course. Um, obviously, that tenth last year was on softer conditions, but you can't knock a six, uh, around 65. Um, he seems to be improving every single every single week. Really, um, he's remained 16th in greens in reg over the last 12 months and the last three months. His current form is fine. He's got a 30 Arnold Palmer, seven foot sawgrass, which is absolutely fine coming into into a tournament like this. Um, he appears on my par four performances and par five performance lists, um, obviously in 19 and 21, because when he was basically an amateur. I mean, you look back when he was an amateur, actually, he opened with an 80 and second round was 69. It's a fantastic fight back. I think Corey Connors is going to win a few. Now, not necessarily majors, but I think over the next three years, um, that short game is going to improve massively. I was really impressed with his attitude um, at the Arnold Palmer um, when he had every chance and sort of gave it away, knew it was, knew it was going, but came back uh, down the back stretch. Um, I thought 170 was not going to win it, is he? But I thought it was a huge trading opportunity. 
Um, and then going back to Matt Kucha, um, I've actually sent him as my special bet of the week for a top 20. Um, Matt Kucha, again, um, I was looking over the weekend at Texas. Obviously, you're watching the winner, Jordan and Charlie Hoffman. But or, as always, you're looking further down the field. And because Kucha played so well at the match play, I thought, well, let's have a look and see if he can still do it. And he performed absolutely fantastically. I suppose he didn't go anywhere. He'd done a Matt Kucha plodding along. Um, ben sums him up as saying, just let him get on with finishing 38th this week, um, which is, is fair enough. But, I mean, you know, the difference between 38th and 20th isn't that much. Uh, I'll change it to 18th. I'll change it to 18th. If, if, if you can. Please. I was going to make my bet look a right mug. Um, I mean, to me, he, he's he's a player that when he does turn up, he turns up again at the same places. So we know his match play form um, is absolutely exceptional. Um, Texas, he's got some fantastic form. And I was just really interested in seeing how he would develop, um, you know, a player of his experience. Um could have just taken that match play third and gone you know i know he's in texas anyway you know i'm not turning up or whatever but he did he did in a sense contend i know he didn't contend for the win but he was there all the time um very not really anything to do with it but 2019 he was runner-up in the match play went seventh in texas open and 12th here um, and i'm hoping that it's a sign that when this sort of more experienced player in inverted commas um comes to the fore he can continue form for a number of weeks and it makes sense that it will be here. Um, you would have got paid out, I think. Uh, you got fourth and twelfth in, in the two of the last four outings, further three top 20 in the last nine. He's got 21st, 24th, 24th and 28th. And I just think if it gets tougher, he's, he's going to know exactly where not to hit the ball. Um, he's patting really well at the match play. Yeah, for me, uh, 170 is a trade's okay, but the 13 to 5, I think I put him up for, for a top 20. That's, you know, that's the better of the week for me, believe it or not. There's only one reason I laugh, and it's because they're the two people that I picked out at the same range. And it's because I had exactly the same thought process behind Kuchin, and the fact that when he came third in the match play, I just assumed it was like, I think that he can do that kind of any year, really, even out of form, because I think match play is a different animal. I think that you know, it changes the way you play the game and you can you can have a bad hole and get back and, and all that sort of stuff. All the things that he's been struggling with, he can get over. And then and then he finished 12th last week and you think, okay, well, now he's... He talked about how he'd been working with his coach, how it had kind of really given him a massive boost and now he's going to return to Augusta. And there's been a lot of talk this year about Lee Westwood and how it's his best chance to win a major. He's playing so well. He's returning to Augusta. And obviously, Kucha's not quite in that standard, I, I wouldn't say. But it's a similar story. I don't think they're ever going to have better chances to win a major before they retire. Um, because he's just found that, that little that little edge again. And I think that once he gets a bit of confidence, I think that you sort of associate Kucha with being able to brush these things off because he's always looked a little bit older than he is. And he's always been a bit kind of laid back and a bit goofy and, and no one really cares and he seems happy whether he finishes 10th because he'll just take money home to the wife whatever but i think he does care and i think i think that's shown in the, those recent interviews that he's so pleased with how well he's done at the match play and how he's then transcended that into another good performance at texas and, and like you say he knows where to put the ball like there is absolutely no 
qualms about that. I think it was it 2014 where he had a chance to win. I was on him that that year, and that was when I really noticed that he does that annoying little hover before he hits the ball, and that really annoyed me and put me off for a long time. But he's great. He's he's, he's great at this course. He's decent odds considering you know the place terms you're going to get. I like you. I don't think he's going to win, but I think he's got every chance of finishing inside the top ten, top eleven, whatever price terms you want to get. Going back to Corey Connors, I think that it's overlooked how well he played in 2019 as well. Um, you know, I know he finished 46th, but it was you know it was much better than that for a good majority of that week. He was 11th after round one, 16th, 22nd. He was always trending lower down the leaderboard, but he was he was hanging around there until the final round 76, and then obviously finished top 10 last year. So I think he's the type of player you said he's going to win plenty or win a few, and I think that he is capable of that because he's just one of those people that when we look at all these statistics, he stands out every week and it's a case of he can't putt or he can't putt as much as he needs to to win. I think he can putt to a degree. I always wouldn't finish the way he does. Um, I think he's I think he's got a great chance. I think that to place, I don't think he can win. I think we've been through the people I think can win. I think we're now here at the guys who can finish in the top 10. And, and, and Ben, what do you think about Corey Connors and Matt Kuchar? Is there sort of an opinion on either of those two? I, I like Connors a lot, actually. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm trying to um, work out how best to play him. I, I, I do quite like the first round leader market. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he led after round one of the Arnold Palmer Invitational. He was third after round one of the players, and he wasn't that far away last week. At, I think it was 22nd after round one in Texas. Um, you often find players get into a bit of a burst of, of early scoring. That was certainly the case when... Sorry to mention him, but Charlie Hoffman led after round one here. He'd been starting fast every week for, for a month. And obviously, you know, retrospectively, we look at Hoffman as a proper Augusta specialist. But Hoffman could, um, sorry, Connors could be one, couldn't he? You know, he's a similar player to Hoffman, actually. He relies on what he does from tee to green. I think, he, as you pointed out, he played really well in 2019. That was a week after he'd won for the first time. You know, maybe he ran out of gas on the Sunday. Um as Jason said, 80-69 as an amateur was a, a, just a fantastic effort to do that, to, to bounce back in the way he did. And then, you know, last year he was he was 10th. Um, again, I think he was he was one shot ahead of Rory after round one. So for all that Rory went from 77th to 5th, Connors went from something like 65th to 10th. Um, so there's loads of good stuff there. Um, yeah, really, really interesting in whatever market you choose. Um, I, I think I'll probably end up with round one lead where I feel like he is a realistic winner of that market. Um, I do think four to five with bet three, six, five, I think he is to be the top Canadian. He's only got Mackenzie Hughes and, um, and Mike Queer to be. I, I do think that's very reasonable. Um, but yeah, there's definitely ways to, to be interested in Corey Connors. Yeah. A couple of uh, core specialists that obviously sit around his prize park as well. Bubba Watson had put up last year because he was striking the ball incredibly well and, and it was just his putting holding him back. But that, that's kind of gone. He's not hitting his irons as well. He's not in his, his tees three game's not great. Rose, there's the slight question mark about his back. I think he's probably given himself enough time off. And I think actually he's probably slightly overpriced in the market because I think he can still win. I think a lot of people have written him off. But uh, Jason, I think that they're probably fairly priced at this stage considering the, the blips in form they've had recently. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> Nothing else to add there, is there? You don't like either of them, do you? No. I'll, um, I'll tell you what, I'll have Victor Perez. He's a bigger price. You want to let me fight before he finishes in front of Justin Rose? 
I don't because I quite okay. like bits of praise. But okay. it, you know, we'll, we'll move on from those because that's obviously <laughs> a, a short and things discussion. Uh, Max Homer is just one at um, Riviera, which is obviously a, a big correlation to this. I think that he could significantly improve on his missed cut last year because he, he actually missed a cut on the mm. number. Um, ben, I think you mentioned that on your on your uh, player's guide as well. Um, he obviously broke a lot of hearts with the fact that he beat Fino in that playoff. I think Ben said again, he's probably the only person that can get away with that. Um, <laughs> I can I can see him playing well, Jason, but I just can't... I don't even know if I could actually see him place and I could see him sort of knocking his way around to sort of a top 20 finish and, and never better, really. Homer. I like yeah. Homer. He's great, isn't he? He's very, very likeable, isn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's done a really good job of, of sort of, uh, you know, self-publicity. Um, yeah, I can see him going very, very well. Um, I can see his irons bouncing around the pin, to be honest with you. But it's another one I can't see winning, but certainly to set himself up for two, three, four, five years' time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he, these players are, are well worth watching. I mean, yeah, you know, they're going to finish, some of them are going to finish, you know, 25th, 28th. They're well worth watching because I'm I'm absolutely convinced that they have a major in them at some point. Um, don't know what one, um, but here is here is you know the one that we obviously take course form and, and progressive form. Um, it's height, so yeah, big fan of Homer. Don't mind watching him win. Don't mind watching him play. Um, couldn't see it, but why not? Absolutely. Um, ben, give us your longest shot of the week. Uh, in your preview yeah it's Siwoo Kim um, I, I, I don't think I'm very good at previewing the Masters which is a revelation to make one hour in isn't it um, <laughs> I, I think you know I, I, I'm much more comfortable in, in the week to week stuff and I, I think the, the Masters it, it, it's difficult to know whether you should be chasing some of that place money I, but I think with Kim um, you know he has won the Players Championship and I, 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 I could sort of see it I can, I can believe that he could be good enough to win a major at 25 years old um, and the thing I really, really like is that if you were to draw a list of the players who you can, on, you know, taking into account all the variables and, and, and just putting them to the side for one moment, who can produce that, you know, gaining eight shots with their approaches leading the field display? I think, obviously, Thomas, I, I would make favourite if you were to press that up ahead of Morikawa. And once you get past those two, um, I think Kim's one of those who would be up there. I mean, he was second in the Amex, um, second at Sawgrass as well, so he's, he's been very close to leading the field twice already this year. Um, and he's played well at Augusta. You know, he missed the cut on his debut, that's fine. And then his last three, he's been hovering around sort of 25th. It's not a big step to go from that to finishing in the top 10. Um especially when you consider the injury troubles that he's had. I think anytime you see someone like Kim um, with a consistent return at a course where he's just gone there and delivered to some degree, um, you should take a very favorable view of that because as I said, he's had, he, he's not always arrived in form. He's had some wild swings in form and fitness. So to be able to do that regardless, I think speaks to a, a level of comfort. He's in the, Claude Harmon stable so you know he'd probably play a bit of practice with Brooks and he's just rubbing shoulders with elite golfers on a regular basis and 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 hopefully feeding off that um although we said that about Nick Watney 10 years ago I suppose but um yeah I, I do like him um I, the other I looked at um I, I think I agree with Perez I think Ryan Palmer will play well he's probably one for the uh, first round lead 
The other I looked at um, was Danny Willett. Um, I, I think he's been playing really well, uh, is the bottom line, I suppose. I, I think if you look at his results, they don't look extraordinary. But for Willett, he's been consistent until last week where he missed the cut on the number. Um, but he, you know, top 10 in the Dominican before that. He was unlucky to miss the players through COVID, but uh, wrong side of the draw a couple of times on the European Tour to start the season. I, I think he's done a lot of dropping hints. Um, and okay, his win here looks a bit out of the blue, doesn't it? But he was 25th in November. He actually led the field in strokes gain approach. Um, and, you know, he's, he's been there and done it. So I, I think if you look at the past champions, he's one of the biggest prices and he, he's probably a little bit entitled to a little bit more respect than that. So, yeah, Danny Willett I looked at, but the only one at three figures that, that really convinced me uh, could go and win this was Siwoo Kim. Do you think Siwoo Kim's major and WC, WGC performances are a bit overlooked? Because... He's a guy that's kind of attributed to inconsistency, which he has been for a lot of his career. And he went for that sort of consistent spell where he, he, he looked like he was a kind of change golfer and he could put it all together. Then he's gone back the other way, like you said, with injuries and things like that. But he's actually, in, in a fairly limited time, had some decent chances at major championships to, to finish in those top tens. And it's, you know, he's only a couple of shots outside in both. And had a PGN, uh, I think it was a US Open as well. Yeah, Aaron Hills, he was right there, wasn't he? Um, I, I think he's one of those golfers who... When he makes the cut, you, you generally find on his record there aren't that many finishes way down the field. Like if he makes the cut, he becomes somewhat dangerous. You know, he did his best work at the weekend in Texas last week, um, and that's not uncommon. Like if he, if he can get through to the weekend, he's he, I think he's aggressive and um, he's prone to these rounds of golf where he just has it on an absolute string. I mean, if he ever puts it together and finds that consistency, I, I think I do think we overlook because he was what was he 17 when he got his tour card. Um, He's only 25. I, I think he's an enormously talented player. Um, I think younger than John Rahm, you know. <laughs> I think we think of Siwoo Kim as probably 30 in that Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler era. Um, but yeah, if he ever does find it, like properly put the pieces together, he has so much ability. And and the one thing I think when you're looking at someone at a big price, regardless of the strength of the field, um, you know, he he's been there on a Sunday. The way he won the Amex, I think so many players with Cantley posting that 60 or 61, whatever it was. So many players, the vast majority of players, certainly ones who hadn't won in so long, would just have not managed to get to that clubhouse target. Um, the fact that he did, I think, speaks to his his uh, confidence and his his tenacity and, and his general ability to win. And, and it counts for a lot, doesn't it? So, yeah, he's not a confidence selection at all, but I, I think he's a, he's a damn good player to be 125 to 1, having won this year. And I think going back to the Homer thing, like, the simplest way to get through major fields always used to be who's won this year. It just so happens that this year, actually, a lot of the big names haven't won. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, any thoughts on those guys? You just mentioned there, Victor Perez, Siwoo Kim, and those sort of price ranges? I, I agree. I mean, I, I agree with everything I said. I mean, they've got so much potential and so much untapped, uh, untapped potential and so much talent, should I say. Um it's a difficult one. I mean, Perez keeps finding himself there in very, very good tournaments, not quite, not quite doing it. Um, he's a, he's of great interest, isn't he, for the future? Yeah, I mean, for me, not this week, but yeah, I, I think the names that we have to we have to note down and have to be looking at, you know, twenty twenty two and beyond. To be honest. Yeah, I think the other thing we we spoke about Matt Wallace earlier, and he wasn't very good. Uh, in the final round and, and that was you know severely put me off considering people see him as this guy that can get it done when he's in contention because he had that three win season and things like that uh, and he was disappointing yourself I think he rallied back sort of towards the end um, 
But do you think there's anything about him? Because he's, he's played some pretty big performances, Jason. You know, he's third at the PGA Championship. He's been 12th at the US Open. Um, I couldn't back him for this because I just think his temperament won't let him uh, get up there. And, he, you know, he's only had a tie 46 as his best finish. But I think he's going to be someone that people will pick this week just because of what happened last week and just the type of profile of player he is. Yeah, uh, he, he, like like many we see that are probably a bit younger, we, we have a go at them for their attitude when, you know, when things go wrong. And, you know, unfortunately, I think he, he's going to have to get over that to uh, get across the line, certainly in this class. I can't see him winning it, but like, so he's not devoid of talent, isn't he? He's, he's you know, as talented as somebody like Danny Willett. Um, and if the cards fell right, but would I want to be on? No. Absolutely not. I mean, we, we saw it in lesser competition after lockdown last year, didn't we? Um, certainly in Scotland anyway, when he, when he had it in the bag. Um, and it hasn't improved. Granted, Texas was, um, you know, a huge step up. But it, it, he's always there, isn't he? But he's, he's just not convincing. I mean, Ben talks about standing on the 10th tee um, on Sunday. If Wallace was in front on the 10th tee on Sunday, you'd be, you'd be on Betfair, wouldn't you? in the arse of it <laughs> because because you know you're just not convinced however talented he is you just just i can't see it no um, I, I mean i had a few i had a few sorry go on back to matt wallace sorry uh, i just think for, just for matt wallace is just whether you can see and make that transition from the talented player that he is i think he's someone that wasted a lot of talent early in his early years of certain commentary his dad kind of had a go at him for kind of throwing it away a little bit and is whether you can see him transitioning from what he is to a tyrell hatton because they're similar hmm. profiles in terms Absolutely. of attitude, uh, profile in terms of wins and things like that before they're kind of burst onto the scene. You know, if he'd have won yesterday, there'd be a very different conversation, wouldn't it? So, And it wasn't that far behind. It's just that he just missed these ridiculous parts and it just and it didn't even look close. And he, and he just has this kind of awe about him that suggests that he's going to blow up at any minute and, and Augusta Green is just going to kill him. But there's plenty of players like that as well. It's a very good comparison that you made there. Um, and I'm going to nick that one for future episodes. <laughs> ben, did you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I quite like him. He's, you know, I think he's third or fourth on the PGA Tour in strokes gain approach now yeah. after yes, after after last week. I mean, it's based on a very small sample in his case. I mean, he is a good iron player when he's on. I think I, I wrote that in the profile of him. Like when he's when he's firing his irons, he's really good. And I think he showed that last week. Um, he obviously has Gareth Lord on the bag, which is a I think it's a good thing uh, long term um, and they're probably betting in together and stuff and it's hard for a player like him you know you, you caught between two tours and you, you can see how careers just all of a sudden just, just disappear you look at Rafa Cabrera Bayo you know he comes back to Europe mm. and all of a sudden he, he puffs his chest out and he plays well again but in America he's just stuck you know playing okay and not doing anything and it, it's just so hard I, th- I think we underestimate how much of an advantage it is to be American if you're a golfer um, and for a player like Matt Wallace, it, it, it's difficult to, to find your rhythm. And, you know, he's at a certain age. You might be thinking about having a family sometime soon. And all those things, you, you, it's, it's much more complicated if you're living out of a suitcase or you're living out of a rented house in Jupiter like most of them do. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know how he'll play this week. I, I think if you're looking to play him, if you happened, I mean, we've obviously made cases for, for Paul Casey, but it'd be more like looking at that top Englishman market if you are of the view that Justin Rose is probably still injured and Westwood's, underpriced and Hatton just can't play here 
and by the way Tyrrell Hatton at 50 to 1 I mean you had to look twice <laughs> didn't you but I just I, I couldn't do it but um but yeah I think it's something like that like Wallace is 11 to 1 you get three places he's only got to beat sort of six Englishmen and you get paid out so I'd, I'd be looking at that sort of market for him I'm glad you brought up Tyrrell Hatton there because the, th- the thing is he does look so big in the market but it's not only his his master's record that that bothers me is how poorly he's played in the big events despite how good a form he's in it almost looks like he just puts himself under a ridiculous amount of pressure and he won at bay hill last year third at heritage fourth for the rocket mortgage and then was 69th at the fedex missed the cut the pga then he gets uh to the us open misses the cut then he gets to the masters misses the cut then he gets to the players misses the cut and it starts to become a bit of a theme you know he was 22nd at the work day which was which was fine but considering the form he was in was maybe a bit disappointing didn't play very well at the match play. It just seems to be a habit of of disappointing when he's been at his best form in these big stages, which is which is surprising considering how well he's actually played in major championships in limited starts prior to that. It's almost like he's because he's had those kind of top six finishes at the US Open and the Open um, and another tie fifth at, at the Open Championship. It's almost like he's almost thinks that he was ready to win one. And as soon as he had one bad week, he's kind of put heaps of pressure on himself. That's the only explanation I can think for it, other than maybe that Augusta just generally doesn't suit him either. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because I, 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 I think generally the, the easy way to assess it is that his, his expectations have gone up. Um, his performances have gone down in majors. But um, there are, you can you can take a positive view. I mean, look, he missed all four cuts in 2017. And the next year in the majors, he had a couple of top tens. Yeah. 2019 six at Port Rush, and then then he's missed all the cuts since. And I could see him turning it round. I just think, like if he was 50 to one for the Open this week, I'd be backing him. Um, mm. I think if it's when you put in Augusta and just this idea that you know we he's had four goes now and um, he's not done anything, and that is there are players here who have won having not done a great deal at the course, but generally speaking, they've done a bit more than that if they've had four looks. Um, and, and it, yeah, it's more that for me. I'd rather just hope maybe, maybe Keel or Island or um, more so the Open than the US Open would, would jolt him back into life. I think if you could have 50 to 1 about either of those, you'd take it. Yeah, I think I think Keel or Island would be, would be for me, considering the European feel we saw last time. Um, I think now we're kind of in the... Let's not say the dregs because that's a horrible way to put it. But it, but it is kind of guys that realistically they could surprise and finish in the top 10, 12. But it's very hard to see. Jason, is there any other guys that you wanted to mention? Um, I just kind of thought if, if it got really, really difficult, Mark Leishman and uh, Christian Bez. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've been talking about Leishman for a while. Um, I mean, most significant of him, really. I think he's at 13th last year when he was, uh, he couldn't do a thing, could he? came back to Augusta and, and livened up and got a 13th. I think he led the par five performance there. I know it was a different tournament in inverted commas, but, um, you know, the fact is he did lead it there. 2018, he was very high up in par four. So we know what Leishman can do. I just think the harder it is, the better he is. Um, and he's priced on not doing a lot. And yet we know he loves it here. So if it is a horses for courses thing, it's him. Christian Bez, we love, as you know, we, you know, the harder it is, we believe that he's going to be the, you know, a much, much better player. Um, whether he's long enough, if he gets really hard um, to be able to hit short enough irons in, I don't know, but his short game will help him. Um, and another one that just came out of the blue in the last one was uh, Sebastian Munoz, who I have absolutely no idea why he's turned up on my list. 
but for some <laughs> reason, I, I mean, I know he was seventh after three rounds last year. Yeah. Um, and then he hit two double bogeys on payday uh, to finish with a 75. Um, he just keeps, every so often, he just catches my eye. I know it's not in this grade. Um, he just catches my eye with some of fantastic approach shots, um, proximities that are just, you know, he's next to the pin. Um, and it was just going down the list. I thought to myself, do you know what? If he drifted to something absolutely ludicrous, um, he may be worth, you know, a shekel each way. Um, but that was that was about it, really, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, you know, with Leishman, he was someone I, I thought about because I thought that he was getting to a, a big price and, and people sort of suggested this is a great course for him and there have been flashes of that, but he just seems to have gone off the boil after having a bit of a renaissance. But Sweden, how, if it got really tough, I think, like we say every time we talk about him, he would be uh, right up there because his short game is just superb and I think his irons are probably better than he probably gets credit for even from myself um I just I just couldn't see it I just think it's a bit like a, a Webb Simpson type thing that he would have to play his absolute very best to contend and and I'm not sure he's ready to do that I don't know Ben have you any thoughts on those guys as well yeah I do agree with a lot of what you said there about about Bazan who in particular um he, he definitely wanted to be fiery and um, and and the greens in regulation average to go down, so more people are missing greens, and and therefore his short game can can really sing. Um, a couple I thought were interesting. I have to say I thought Phil at 125 to one was hmm. was kind of interesting. I mean he he was 25th in the Honda. I put him up there, and actually I know it looks ludicrous now, but he played well, you know, and he gained strokes across the bag um, until about the eighth hole on Sunday. He was about 10th. Um, you know, looking if he can if he can find a couple more birdies here, we could we could pinch sixth or seventh. Before that, he played as well as he has in ages at the players. And last week, he missed the cut because he lost five and a half strokes around the greens. Everything else, he did well. Um, and I think if you're ever going to write off a statistical category, it should be around the greens. So, given his history here, um, you know, I, I I wouldn't put anyone off. Um, I, I think actually he's four to one top left hander. And the more I look, like I, you know, you got to beat Bubba. You've got to beat Harmon. Harmon's half the price of Mickelson. Um, you know, McIntyre, it's a, it's a it's a hot heat. There are four genuine runners, but four to one, Phil, I, I could buy that. Um, the other one I wanted to mention was Cameron Champ. Um, I put him up here at 80 to one in November. He comes back um, after a top 20 on what was his debut. Um, he comes back at 200 to one. So that immediately feels off. Now, the reason is he hasn't made a cut all year, or at least he hadn't, until last week in Texas. Um, most of his problems have been down to the putter. It's not like he's not been hitting the ball well. You know, off the tee in particular, he, he remains very, very good. He's not lost strokes off the tee since February last year. Um, his approach play comes and goes, but it was it was perfectly serviceable last week and, and has been a few times this year. It's around the greens and on the greens that he's been really poor. Um, he was 26 in putting last week. If he can take a step forward, I, I thought he was a huge eye catcher. I can't stress that enough. Like last last November, I really did. Um, finished 19th. He was in better form, but you know, um, 200 to one from 80 to one. Now he's had a look. I, I can see that uh, as decent value. And then just one more would be CT Pan. Now he's not for me at all, um, but I know he will appeal to some people because he's got course and current form simple as that you know he was seventh here in november he finished third last time in the honda didn't he so um yeah you know you won't often find 250 to one about a player like that but i, I kind of feel like november's effort was probably a freak thing that we shouldn't expect to happen again yeah i mean just one more for me before we go on to some of the side markets and 
and then we'll wrap it up there. Dylan Fratelli obviously played very well for for a couple three rounds or to a couple of rounds last year before sort of struggling in the third round. Um, he he's added a lot of distance to his game. He's played very very well with it a lot of the time. He played well at the players. Just seems to be one round where it, I guess it gets a bit loose because he's got that added distance. He's going to have the great practice rounds that he does with the with the South African contingent there. I think that helps an awful lot. And you know he he was he did play so well for those first couple of rounds last year and I guess the occasion got to him because it would have been the biggest stage he's ever done it on um, but he is a PGA Tour winner um, and yeah for me you know he didn't really do um, sorry it wasn't even the third round he played poorly it was the second round wasn't it the 73 and and he came back in the third round and, and he kind of stuck around there he led after round one top fives uh, in, in the uh, over the weekend as well for me he was big enough uh, to catch the eye and that was the last one for me at, uh, each way Jason any thoughts on Fratelli uh, no I'm just funny enough looking at the Betfair market and Fratelli's there 310 yeah um, so all these but you fancy one at a big price I mean like I say I don't know what you want to make I mean you might be one of those that want to wait till they go single figures which is going to be difficult in this field but if you want to double your money I mean you know Bez is 260 Molinari's 300 Fratelli 310 Perez 330 um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Ben just said CT Pan 480. I mean, you know, there's some huge prices away from the away from the fancy, fancy players. You get into the treble figures, you, you've got to go and have a look. If you're going to have five points on a player on the on the on the uh, fixed, do four and have one on the exchange and play with that because they're just ginormous. So that's my last word on that lot. Yeah, I also just thought that Fratelli came out of a, a decent group, didn't he, at the match play? Mm. He beat Tony Finau um, and Jason Kogat. Lost to Zalatoris, but still progressed. Um, yeah, just for me, he's, he's just played a bit better than I think people give him credit for on yeah. the PGA Tour yeah. in, in flashes. And uh, yeah, I think there was enough there to, to catch my eye. I know you wanted to talk about the top amateur market, Jason, before we Yeah, uh, we love the, love the top amateur market, <laughs> don't we? Um, keep your eye on the winner. For the, for the future. I mean, there's only three runners uh, Ty Stefaki, Joe Long, and uh, as Ben alluded to, Charles Alston, Ollie Osborne. Um, three runners. Uh, Joe Long won the British um, amateur at Birkdale. He's lost his long term caddy and close friend to COVID 19 on the bag. He tore a muscle in a surfing accident not that long ago in Cape Town. And uh, apart from uh, Manicero and uh, Sergio, um, no British amateur um, winner has ever won the top amateur at the, the following um, Masters. Um, Stefaki beat um, Charles Alston, Ollie Osborne in the final of the US amateur. Um, massive, massive family history. I mean, Stefaki's go back generations in terms of top amateur golf. Um, he is a teammate of Andy Ogletree, who we spoke about last year, um, who finished top amateur last year. Ogletree's been sort of, you know, giving him a bit of advice. He's um, a Georgia Tech man, um, which is Matt Kucha. No doubt also he'll be leaning on. Kucha probably charge him a tenner an hour. But nevertheless, <laughs> he'll be leaning on him. Um, gets advice off Bryce Mulder, who admittedly, you know, nevertheless is, is uh, you know, a longstanding PGA professional. Um, and Charles uh, Alston, <laughs> Ollie Osborne, um, if you, if you, ben probably knows, nobody else will, because nobody else would care. He was born Charles, his parents thought that was too posh, changed it to Alston. His brother struggled to say it and started saying Ollie, so they kept it at Ollie. So if only people were, were really 
you know, named like that, we'd all be in a better world, wouldn't we? Um, US Amateur winners and runners-up have won uh, 15 of the last 20 uh, top amateur titles in their Masters. Um, a lot of a couple have gone to the Asian Tour and, and mid-amateur winners. Um, 11 of the last 15 uh, US Amateur winners have gone on to B-top amateur. He's odds-on, Ty Shafaki, but my word, he should be four-on, not uh, six to four-on. You uh, you never fail to amaze me, Jason. The lengths that you go to 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 uh, in your research to actually find the fact of why he changed his name um, is quite spectacular, really. I don't know if it's spectacular, worrying, or brilliant. I don't I don't really know which term it is for it, but the information is there for people. Um, it's it's wrapped up well. The, the only sort of side market. There's a couple of side markets I thought of looking at was well, first I was looking at top South Korean for. Um, see with Kim, and then I just thought I'd actually just go top Asian because I don't expect Hideki Matsuyama to do an awful lot. Um, and he's finished there, 20th, and, he probably finished 20th, and see with Kim, hopefully, finished 17th. So, you know, or in Ben's case, in the, in the top 11. Um, yeah, I just thought he was he was a decent price for that. And I was also sort of if John Rahm doesn't do what we expect him to do, and um, especially Sergio can be boom or bust, I thought Victor Perez was a decent price for top continental European. Uh, at 12 to 1 even with the three places there as well so they were the sort of side markets I was looking at I really like Ben Shout of Corey Connors for first round leader um, and I, I'd probably chuck Dylan Fratelli in there again to, to do that Ben any side markets that interest you? So I'll keep the I've got one of the first round leader thing but I'm going to tease that one my strongest first round leader fancy in as much as you can have a strong first round leader fancy will be revealed um, I think one of the interesting markets is to make the cut now important to remember they removed the 10 shot rule um and it's top 50 only um they did that ahead of the 2021 edition um so it's harder to make the cut than it has been in previous years i mean the masters basically should be the easiest cut to make all year because you know larry Myers is playing etc um but i still think it's a very easy cut to make in relative terms Jimmy Walker's never missed it. <laughs> um, he's never missed it, right? Now, I know, you know, eventually the, these runs do tend to come to an end, but he's played it in sev seven times, never missed the cut. Um, he's not really been particularly close to missing the cut. Um, even he finished 60th in November. That's his worst ever Masters finishing position. Previous to that, it was 38th. So he's been, you know, he's been pretty close to the, to the lead. Um, he finished 60th back in November, but he was in no danger of making the weekend. He shot a pair of 76s at the weekend to uh, to fall down the field. He's 5-2 to two to make the cut. Um, I think that's generous. I do. I mean, he's, probably, he's the same price as Fred Couples. No? Jimmy Walker's made his last two cuts on the PGA Tour. Yes, he's finished down the field, but I'm not I'm not asking for any more than just get get through to the weekend. I think 5-2, to two, and he's generally 2-1, to one, bit of 9-4. to four. I think that's really generous. I do. Um, and in a similar vein, uh, though not as good value, um, although he is more likely, will be Bernd Wiesberger. Um, he's another. Um, <laughs> this is based on, on, on the basic premise that neither have missed the cut so far. So it's not rocket science, this. But he's made all five cuts, and, and where Wiesberger's concerned, he has not been anywhere close to not making it to the weekend at Augusta. And although... Going back to a point Jason made at the start with Jordan Spieth, you know, Wiesberger's form is not particularly good coming in. But when they drive down um, through the gates of Augusta, a lot of players, they just come alive. And, and as I said, Wiesberger's just never been in danger of missing the cut here. So I don't really see why he should miss it now. And he's 6-5 to five to make the cut. Again, I, I think he probably should be able to. So, um, yeah, I'll take both of those two. 
I saw two people at odds against, and those are the, that's why I'm laughing again. I, I wrote a note to, we're going on to a YouTube show in a minute, and it's the European tour angle of, of uh, the Masters. And I've written a note here, also think it's worth mentioning Wiesberger for DraftKings because he's never missed a cut. So yeah. there you go, that's that's adds that into there. Jimmy Walker's another one. Jimmy, Jimmy, and, J- Jimmy Walker on. makes the top 20 par 4 performance, 17, 18, and 19. He actually got on a list, and I laughed at myself and brushed him out quickly. Um, but, yeah. but he is that type, isn't he, that you know Absolutely. what he's going to do, mm, where he's going to do it. And and I know that he's been poor for, what is it, three years probably now. Um, but, you know, he's ill. You know, he's got Lyme disease. He's never really recovered from it. I don't think he can ever really get four rounds through. Um, but like Ben said, you've only got him to get through two. And then whatever he does after that, you don't really care, which is a horrible way of looking at it. But it's the bet. So... Um, yep, I really like that. I think now is the time for us to summarise our selections. Um, so I'll go first just to let uh, everybody sort of catch their breath. Um, so I'm going with Justin Thomas. Very, very keen on him at 12 to 1. Probably the keenest I've ever been on him for a bet, which is surprising in a Masters. Uh, Paul Casey, I really like as well. Sergio Garcia, to me, uh, they're the three that I'm sort of going with. And I think there's also. Um, sort of substance in looking at Dylan Fratelli at 150 to 1 and you can also get 125 to 1 with uh, with more places as well so those are the guys I am going with Jason over to you uh, I'm going to have to do JT and Ram probably on bet fags it's going to be win only I won't be betting at their prices each way therefore you'll get a point or a point and a half bigger and hopefully one of them trades pretty short Jordan's too short now unfortunately um, Patrick Reed, I think 33 to 1 is is a very very safe enough each way better the price um and i'm going to mess about casey potentially each way um and kutcher and connor's um definitely play around on betfair 170 180 and look at playing them some other how as well um the others we mentioned are a possible i'm not quite sure yet i knew i'd miss one matt kutcher was my other one ben and your selections for me as well yeah jt confidently rory mcelroy hopefully um, Paul Casey for fifth, Jason Day for seventh, and Siwoo Kim for half a look at eleventh. Absolutely, that's that's a great way of putting it. Very well succinct and summarised. Uh, I've just had a text from Paul Zori to say that Webb Simpson is playing like he's like they're used to, which uh, means they think they got a good chance. So that's always a promising text to uh, to get through there as well. Um, I think that that summarises our Masters preview. Ben, thank you as ever for coming on as a guest in this spot. Always a pleasure. Thank you, gents. And next time, just get me on for the Hong Kong Open or something where I've got something useful to say. <laughs> and, and Jason, we, we love talking about those sort of events, so maybe we'll uh, we'll get Ben on for those as well. And thank you as ever, and I shall speak to you next week. Yeah, not long till Badarama. Hooray! <laughs> That's it, your favourite event. You can circle that on the calendar. Thanks, guys. All the best this week, and uh, we'll catch up soon.